Hey, everybody, this is Keith Baker, the host of the Private Lender Podcast, and I want to thank you for listening while I'm doing a bit of a hiatus. But I'm going to give you some best of. This is going to be episode four with my friend Chris Funk, the second part of his interview. And it will be discussing, amongst other things, mitigating risks as a private lender. And I owe a lot to Chris Funk in, in terms of real estate investing and private lending. And uh, it just makes me uh, happy to, to be able to interview him. I was grateful that he came on, and, but it's also great to get him back out there, get him a little more exposure. He's a great guy. And yeah, so he's going to be in the best of. This is going to be episode four, all the way from January of 2018. I hope you guys enjoy. Private Lender Podcast, episode four. Another reason I like to use lender, private lenders versus banks and hard money, because you develop those kind of relationships. And, and then in the future, there could be some synergy there. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome to episode four of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and thank you for sharing your time with me today on yet another episode. Today, we're going to continue our conversation, an interview with Chris Funk. But before we do, I would like to thank the listeners who have taken the time and reached out to me either on Facebook or through the privatelenderpodcast.com website and have offered their support, suggestions, and ideas for future show topics. So thank you very much for that. And I would like to encourage everyone listening, if you have ideas, suggestions, comments, please send them to me via email to info at privatelenderpodcast.com, or you can reach out via the social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and biggerpockets.com. So before we return to the interview with Chris Funk, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by Bell Station, which is located in the heart of Midtown Houston. Bell Station offers a modern bar environment with a southern charm. Whether you're a sports enthusiast, a beer nerd, wine lover, or just a social butterfly, Bell Station has got you covered. You can visit Bell Station at 207 Gray Street, Houston, in the 77002, or visit them on the web at bellstationhtx.com. That's B-E-L-L-E stationhtx.com. And now, back to the show. All right. On our last episode, we were in the middle of an interview with Chris Funk, very young and successful real estate investor in the Houston, Texas area, who introduced me into private lending and got me into the, the field. And I want to, I don't know if it's apologize to you, the listener right now ahead of time, or warn you, or both. The interview quickly devolves away from an interview as if you haven't already heard that, but it gets really worse on this episode where Chris and I talk about that first loan that I made him and the outcome of that deal uh, for him. So a uh, couple of words I'll have to edit out here and there, but I wanted to leave it in as raw as possible because it was a lot of fun interviewing Chris for this episode. And I hope that comes through to you, the listener, and I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and rewind just a few minutes in that conversation and repeat what you heard last on episode three, and then we'll flow right into the continuation of the interview with Chris Funk. Here we go. Enjoy. 
I would much rather have the lender put up all the money, get a check back at closing for the difference, you know, $500, $1,500, whatever the difference is between what I borrowed and the actual cost to close. And, and then secondly, probably is the fact that it's done quickly and it's easy and I don't have to fill paperwork out and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's much easier to send a text or make a quick phone call than it is to go through a you know, nine page real estate application, you know. Well, absolutely. And, and depending on those, on the numbers, how the, how the, uh, the analysis or the evaluation goes that, you know, I know a lot of lenders who are more than happy to give you the extra five grand to cover the, co- the closing costs. Cause if you're borrowing, oh, yeah. if you're borrowing 75,000 and that's all in on a, on a house, uh, let's assume for a moment that you've, you've got some rehab money, right? Mm-hmm. So lenders getting a first position lien, $75,000 as is the house could probably sell for about that, mm-hmm. maybe 70 to 80. And I would give, you know, I've done it before where, you know, give the closing costs and then the house is after it's, you know, fixed up in about two weeks, it's, you know, well above 130. And oh, yeah. the position is, is completely secure. The investor wins because he hasn't, like you said, he hasn't had to really come out of pocket for anything outside of paying his crew. Um, and if it's a two-week deal and it's sold fast, you know, the odds are he's going to make maybe one payment on the loan, uh, you know, one interest uh, payment in the interim and then, and then yeah. cash out. And, and, every, and everybody's happy. The lender gets his money back plus his interest. Um, yeah. I, I would... Uh, I'm heartbroken to hear that you don't pay points, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to be, <laughs> but, that's, but that's all part of the game. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've lent, I've lent to you. I've never, you know, we didn't do points. We had, we, we had our arrangements, you know, and it was, um, you know, things went, um, things went really well. I mean, that's, I mean, my, my first commercial loan was to you and I mean, I was nervous as hell. Uh, hey, you remember which one that was? Texas city. Yeah, I do remember guess, that. Guess who defaulted? No way. I own it now. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> we got a sign in front of it right now. A, a stupid little bandit sign, a very unprofessional thing jammed in the window with some tape on it. But that's seven calls the very first day. Guys like, I want to start a bar there. And then I go and start a restaurant. And they're like, how much you selling it for? How much you renting it for? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I got to think about that. <laughs> we put the sign up before I even knew what I was going to ask for it. And it's, and, you know, it's smoking hot. So, just as a side note, I, we were hoping that that deal wouldn't go bad, but we were also kind of hoping it would because there was so much equity. It went bad. We got it. And and so, you know, for all the listeners out there, that was that needle in a haystack deal that, you know, appraised for 300000 and we bought it for sixty dollars uh, with the intention of owner financing it back to the, the, uh, the little lady who brought us the deal. And she was really the one who wanted it. And um, she said, look, if you guys can buy it for sixty and sell it back to me on the payment schedule for hundred, I'd be totally willing to do this deal. And you and I got together and you were going to lend us the money to do it. And me and my dad, were going to do the deal. And once we learned how much it was worth, we were like, absolutely. <laughs> and in the back of our mind thinking, boy, I kind of hope you screw the deal up because if it ever comes back to us, we're going to be sitting pretty on a lot of equity. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, her and her boyfriend uh, parted ways and she just didn't have any more interest in, in maintaining uh, that property. And so she, she just signed it right back over. She said, no, nah, it was his money anyway. I don't care. Here's a deed. <laughs> <laughs> she was out. And so, you know, we never want anyone to fail, but, um, but that was one where we, we knew that, 
if we ever had to take it back, it would be uh, to our advantage to do so. so oh, I, um, I, I remember <laughs> looking at that property. I mean, I had, to, I had to bring my kids with me. And I'm yelling at them to yep. you know, stay away <laughs> from the broken glass. And, you know, I had that day. And, and then uh, I remember telling you that um, I was like, look, if this thing appraises for, you know, cause I've never done commercial. So I was like, let's get a commercial appraiser, which are appraisal. Those are not cheap. Those are, you know, 1500 yeah. and above. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we got the uh, commercial appraiser appraisal. And I remember telling you, look, if this thing is, you know, comes in at 150 or above, you know, we'll do the deal. And then you, you, you called me before you emailed me the report and said, Hey, it's, you know, like <laughs> 307 or $305,000. And I, I remember, I remember distinctly telling you, I was like, you can default on this and I will, I will loan to you again. You know, I, there's been a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind foreclosing on you and then turning right around. The next day exactly. And loaning loaning you another deal. <laughs> right back. Exactly. That was a hoping you do idea. the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that's still one of my favorite lending stories, one of successful lending stories that I have. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of the beauty of it for a private lender. That's the situation, hopefully, that you're setting yourself up for should things go bad. Yeah, S- start with uh, I, I like I like to steal from Tim Ferriss and say let's 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 not do goal setting, let's do fear setting. Let's start yeah. with like that absolute worst thing. I'm going to lose all my money. You know, and this bonehead thing. Okay, so how do I reverse engineer that and work backwards? So that when I, you know, start from right to left, so that when I read from left to right, now I know everything that I need to have in place. You know, yeah. does, does that bar, you know, obviously you didn't need any money in that, 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 that deal because the, 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 the margins were just so good, but had yeah. that been like to your point earlier, had that been a more questionable deal or the margin a little thinner, yeah, maybe I would, maybe I'd like to see 10 or 20 grand of your, of your skin on the table, you know, in the beginning, sure. you know, sure. if, if, you know, cause if it, if it, the one thing I, I've learned, um, not to do in lending is don't, um, don't chase or don't follow risk by raising interest by chasing your interest rate. If it's, if it's 12 and the deal changes, have the borrower make up the difference. You know, if you're at 12%, for example, on a short term loan, like let's say a rehab or fixer up or something or a construction bridge loan, you know, don't say, well, I'll do it. I'll do that now, but I need 15% because really all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot and not giving the borrower any more incentive to close that margin and get that deal done and, and out off the books and get you paid back. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. In, 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 in theory, it sounds great. Let me just up the entry. I'll make more money off the deal. I'll mitigate. But in reality, that that's kind of a, you know, whistling in the wind. And uh, when it comes down to it, if the deal doesn't work and the guy's not going to make it work, your interest rate is, is a, that's going to be gone real quick. <laughs> How much is, is 15% of nothing? You know, (laughs) when he chooses not to pay it, what's your interest rate now? (laughs) Exactly. So that, um, anyway, yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we came up with that. That was like, that was a great, a great, uh, that was a great deal out there in Texas city. It was, it was. And, and really kind of like the other thing that, that that makes me think about is really, and really, really another reason that I do deals with, with private lenders is, is, is the network that you build. Uh, and really on both sides of the fence. As, as a private borrower, I guess for lack of a better term, as a private borrower, I'm getting to meet guys who are interested in real estate and have money to lend. And as a lender, you're getting to meet guys in real estate that have deals to do, you know, and, yeah. and relationships develop over time because of that. And you just never know where that might go. You know, um, in five years, we might have a commercial real estate meltdown. And now I've got a little notebook of contacts 
who all have money invested in real estate. And I might say, hey, guys, you wouldn't believe this apartment building that we can pick up for about 35 cents on the dollar from what it was trading at five years ago. I'm thinking about raising three million bucks and I've got 10 spots and we're going to go in and we're going to buy this thing. Who wants to do this with me? Because now all these guys know me. Yeah, I know Chris and he owns a deal that's similar to this. And now he wants to do this one. I've went to money. He's always paid me back. I, I know his credit score. I've seen the guy's deals, um, you know, and, and vice versa. You might get a deal or a lender of mine might find something. They're like, shoot, this looks great, but I don't know that I have the skills to take it down. It may even be, it may even be one of their foreclosures. Guy lent money on a deal and it's, you know, but he's like, Chris, look, I got this $3 million apartment that's coming back and I lent the money on it. Me and this other guy, or me and these other two guys lent the money. This guy's going under. We know you have the ability to take this off. Do you want to come in as a partner with us? We'll all, you know, go quarters on this thing. You just never know what might turn. So that's really another reason I like to use lender, private lenders versus banks and hard money because you develop those kind of relationships. And, and then in the future, there could be some synergy there. Well, that's, that's, ex- that's really important. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mean, personally speaking, I, yeah, when that meltdown comes, I mean, I hope my name is up there. Uh, not, not it's not going to be at the top. I know I don't want to have a, I don't, I don't play in such large circles as, as You're on my list, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's, it's, it's, you know, I'm looking for, I'm looking for that multifamily. I'm looking for that strip center mm-hmm. that, um, you know, needs a little TLC, maybe, maybe a little value add to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, yeah, you're absolutely, you know, the old saying or whoever coined it, you know, your, your net worth is, is your network. And it's, it's so true, especially in this game. And yeah. And people say, well, how's that true? Like this. How's that's that tr- how it works. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. You know, I, 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 you know, someone I, at Aria mentions your name somehow, you know, get an email, this and that. Next thing you know, I'm lending, right? Just met this guy, Chris. And like, holy smokes, he did everything he said he was going to do. You know, to the letter, to the T, I got my money back. I got my interest. You know, negotiating was easy. Okay, fine. Let's do the next one. Let's do the next one. Lo and behold, hey, uh, I'd like to get out of single family. I'd like to get into the you know commercial, maybe the multifamily aspect. You know, maybe maybe fourplex, maybe uh, you know, not fourplex, but you know, maybe five or above, right? In the into the commercial realm, so to speak, with Freddie mm-hmm. and Fanny's parlance. But bam, there it is. You know, or if and conversely, if if I come across a deal mm-hmm. that say, hey, are you interested in this? And I'm like, oh, no, I know some guys that would be. You know, yeah. this is going to fit your investing criteria or, you know, like you said, your, your, your personal lending criteria, if it falls within yeah. and we've already know, we, we know each other, we've worked yeah. together, we've done deals together and there is going to be a, I mean, you still have to do your own due diligence. Don't get me wrong, but a, a lot can be said and a lot should be said for comfort and familiarity with, with somebody. Uh, oh to get, yeah. To get yeah. the door open. And to get yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, the, the only thing when, when there's nothing else to look at past performance yep you know when there's nothing else to look at you, you can at least look at that and go well i know he's you know operates like this and does like this and, and so it's just one more thing to to look at you know yep. and, and that's what the banks do too you know they look at your credit they look at mm-hmm. your track record um you know and, and i provide all that stuff to my lenders too you know on top of everything else i want them to see it Let's let's touch on that. Let's. Get the, I was really impressed with your your borrower package the first time uh, I lent to you. So your credibility package, for lack of a better term, was phenomenal. So thank you, you. Walk us walk us through that because that immediately put me. I don't want to say at ease, 
but it, 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 it brought me down from needing two or three Valium or Xanax down to just one, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, maybe a half. And then, uh, especially on that commercial, I mean, I'd never done commercial. So I was, I was very nervous on it, but I'm glad I stuck through with it. And it, it, it was a very successful, very successful loan. And it sounds like it's, it's going to pay you dividends as well. So it's a win, 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 win for everybody except the, the, the poor bastard whose money <laughs> that his girlfriend took and used <laughs> for the deal. But, uh, <laughs> right, poor guy. But yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, t- tell us, uh, tell us about how you, what you, what you provide your lenders, like, and, and not, not someone you've dealt with before, but you know, first time borrower situation with this lender. What do you provide your your lender to put them at ease? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I do call it a, the credibility book, and I got the idea from another investor, a house flipper guy here in Houston. Uh, his name's Eddie Gant, really sharp guy, and uh, and I learned from him. And he, you know, he said, look. When I go into a bank to pitch them to get a big line of credit or whatever, um, here's what I do. And so I learned about putting this book together. And it, it was originally designed for getting big lines of credit from banks. But once I had success with that, I started thinking, well, shoot, might as well, why not show this to private lenders? They're lending me money and they don't know me. They probably should show it to them before even a bank. They, they need it more than a bank does. Um, I, believe it or not, I even show it to bar or to, to to sellers now. I'll go on an appointment, and if it's just steep competition, and you know I can't win any other way, I break out the book and I go, "Hey, listen. On top of everything else, I'd like you to know that I'm a serious businessman. I take this seriously, and I'm going to handle your this transaction with professionalism and courtesy. And we're going to do everything we say we're going to do. And if you'd like to talk to any of my references, they're here in this book. If you'd like to see how many deals we've done last year, you can see here." And it puts them at ease too. And I think for no other reason than if, if there's only one thing is it shows that I took the time to sit down and present myself in such a way that it makes the other person have to do very little work to see. It, it, I'm doing the footwork for you. You know, you open up my book and it shows, oh, wow, he, he took the time to put together a 60 page book with all the stuff about him and that just by itself before you even open it, the guy's thinking, well, you know, he's serious about that. He's serious enough to spend a couple of days putting this book together. Yeah. If nothing else, the guys, he's got it together and he's not afraid to put work together to do something. And it versus the guy who shows up, he's got a printout from the internet of the property. You know, could he be, he could be a better borrower than me. I don't know. But right off the bat, it shows, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to put in the footwork. I'm willing to go the extra mile. Not everyone does this. I do. This is for your benefit uh, and mine. But uh, it just shows, hey, I'm professional. I'm going to do this thing, you know. And, and and so I think that that number one, it starts the relationship off on the right foot. Um, uh, it goes a long way. Yeah, it sure does. Goes a long way, showing that you know you 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 have everyone's best interest in mind, and and you have nothing to hide. So. Um, so I put a lot of stuff in that book. It starts out with the table of contents. Uh, the very next page is a little quick, um, about me, um, kind of how I got started. It, it talks about, um, the jobs that I had prior to real estate, uh, where I grew up, uh, all of those kinds of things and, and, and the jobs that I've had in real estate and, and then kind of some of the big mm, chapters in my real estate you know, accomplishments and some of the bigger deals that I've done. And it talks about those things. Um, then it goes into a small uh, little work chart of my company and it talks about the people 
who are in my company, even vendors, you know, bookkeeper. She's not an employee. She's a vendor. But, um, but I put it in there. Hey, this is Karen. She's my bookkeeper and this is what she does. Um, this is, you know, this is Calvin. He's one of my, my private lenders and one of my partners on one of my big deals. Here's what he does. This is my maintenance guy. Here's what he does. This is his name. So you kind of warm up to what I do, who I do it with, and what we do. Um, then you flip through there. There's going to be my tax returns, last two years of tax returns. You know, this is, you know, take off all your clothes and stand there in the light, you know, kind of thing. Like, this is all my flaws, my good and the bad, you know. <laughs> oh, you've done uh, that before. Kind of <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Hiding nothing, right? Here's here's everything. Um <laughs> your tax returns on yeah, not even Donald Trump would release his tax returns, right? That's right. Uh, you know, so so that just tells a lot right there. Uh, I print out my credit score and and the narrative, so you can actually flip through my full narrative credit report and see who I owe and how much, all the way down to what I owe on my car and what the monthly payment is. You know, um, they, nothing gives you more sense of um, security, and I guess drop your your uh, guard when, when someone kind of drops theirs and says, you know, here's everything, man. Like the most intimate financial details about me. I have nothing to hide. Um, you know, how can you see that? And you know that, so I put that in there. I think that's just a really great thing to have that way as a lender, if I was on the other side of the table, I'm looking at this going, Oh, sweet. Yeah. I like the fact that you're showing me your stuff. That's cool and all, but I'm drilling right into these numbers. What did you make? What are your bills? How much discretionary income do you have? Because if you've got a lot of discretionary income, you want to do this deal. I feel a lot better. You know? And now if we're at 70% and I'm like, okay, this is good. You have the ability to repay. There's enough equity in the deal that if you flip it over, I can pick it up and go straight again and no problem. I'm mitigating risk big time. You know, um, So if you don't make a lot of money, you put your tax return in there and may kill the deal. Um, <laughs> You know, who knows? But but I like to put that in there because what I'm doing as a bar is I'm giving you every reason to say yes. I'm giving you every possible reason to say yes. I'm putting banking references in there. Um, the guy that I owe $2.1 million to on my commercial deal, his name, email, and phone number is in there. If you want to call him and say, hey, James, what do you think about Chris? He'll probably tell you, Chris is a loser, but what else do you want to know? Well, does he pay on time? Yeah, he pays on time. He's not a bad guy. I'm just kidding. That's James exactly. That's pretty much what he said. That's when is I, that when what I he said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, that's the thing I loved about your thing. Your 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 credibility package was when yeah I called everybody on that, and only one didn't call me back. But everyone else I spoke to uh, said pretty much the same thing that you know this guy's a piece of. Uh, I don't like him, <laughs> but he pays on time. No. <laughs> every, every one of them said, you know, yeah, this guy pays on time. And, it, it, you know, he, he honors the commitment uh, as it's drafted. And But my, my favorite thing was on your credit report, you called it out straight up that, look, I have a judgment against me. I have a tenant, mm-hmm. a professional tenant who knows how to play the game. And mm-hmm. I, right away, I completely discarded that, disc- discounted it because, um, you know, it, it, tenants, look, you can do everything right and yeah. still, and still get a professional tenant in there and lose, you know, four or five months in rent and, and cash. Oh, you don't know anyone that said that's happened to, do you? Um, no, well, um, uh, yes, 
and, and that's why I sold that house. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> having uh, having a tenant file bankruptcy, and uh, that was a hell of that was a hell of a seminar right there. Um, mm-hmm. That I wish I would have taken over a weekend instead of five months. But um, <laughs> no kidding, it would have yeah. cost less too. Yeah. So, but that, I like. But you like. Look, there's, here's a negative blemish, and here, this is why. You know. Yeah. Um, just like I've seen people, you know, say, yeah, I've missed two payments on my credit card. I was late twice. Mm-hmm. You know, I yep. travel. It, it's happened to me. I travel for, you know, my nine to five and I don't like setting up recurring payments, but anyway, I missed it. Plain and simple. Yeah. Called up the bank. They agreed to, re- to, to, to remove one of the negative marks. And I said, Hey, yeah, that's better than nothing. But anyway, that's beside yeah. that. But the fact that you called it out, you know, said, look, here's everything. Like you said, you know, here's everything. You know, yeah, here's an, bad. here's an autopsy of my financial life exactly. uh, as it is, as it is right now. So I think that that yeah. went a long way to giving me a comfort level. Now I still, you know, requested them that first deal, the, the appraisal, and then I got yeah. it and I, I took it to another commercial appraiser that I know and like, look, you know, what is this, you know, is this guy, you know, he's supposed to be third party, you know, hey, no, it looks good, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, so let, let's, let's, um, let's do the deal. A couple of more questions. Uh, beyond a first position lien, explain your philosophy around keeping your private lender's money safe and secure as you do deals. Okay. So I'll tell you the ways that a private lender can lose money. And then I'll tell you what to do to keep that from happening. And that's what I do. Uh, So let me dive into that. So the ways that you can lose money as a private lender and then the ways to mitigate it, which is what I do, are this. The first thing, and I've mentioned it, you know, harped on it is, is don't lend more than you feel comfortable paying for the property and look at it like that as a lender, would I be willing to buy this property for what I'm going to lend plus a thousand dollars? Cause that's about what it's going to cost to foreclose the guy and own it. And that's basically what happens. If you have to foreclose, it's highly likely that your uh, foreclosure attorney is going to go down to the courthouse steps, raise a microphone, spatter out the legal description, and no one's going to bid. Well, maybe they do. But if they don't bid, which is usually pretty likely, you're going to be the owner of that thing in about 10 seconds. So I tell people, if you don't feel comfortable owning it at that price, don't, don't lend the money. That's number one. So as a borrower, one of the things that I do is I send uh, my lenders, kind of a little pro forma. I said, look, here's what I'm buying it for. Here's what I plan to rehab it for. And then here's what I think it's going to be worth based on the comps in the neighborhood. And I've already done the math for you. It comes out to 67.5%. That lets the lender know right up front what their risk is. That's kind of your risk score is your loan to value. How much are you loaning compared to how much it's worth. And that ratio is kind of your risk score. So, and, and it's for both sides, for both the, the house flipper, he need, that's his risk score. And so it's the same thing for the lender. So <laughs> right up front, I'm letting the lender know, you have a 67% uh, loan to value. And I would say anything in this market, anything under 75 is pretty healthy. Generally speaking, that will fluctuate with neighborhood and property type and a multitude of other things. You know, so if you're in a kind of a um, war zone neighborhood, 
that may not be as sweet of a deal versus if you're in kind of a swanky part of town, then that might be really super deal. But typically speaking, 75% is good um, if you use that as a benchmark. So right up front, that's what I'm telling my lenders. Um, If they say yes to the deal, the second thing that I'm going to send them is a title commitment and insurance policy. The other two ways you can get burned on the deal because I'm not even at this point. I'm not talking about the borrower anymore. Because we're assuming that you you like the guy, you've checked him out. But but really, for the sake of this whole conversation, let's pretend the borrower is a real dirtbag. Let's say the guy's financially upside down, all screwed up, uh, illiquid. Let's just assume that, right? Let's just assume that every deal we're doing. These guys have a 50-50 chance of making it, right? Because right. that's kind of how you have to look at it. You have to kind of think of each borrower as, hey, I don't know if this guy will even be around tomorrow. And if you underwrite every deal like that, you're going to be fine. So you're looking at the property and the property only. So the second thing is your insurance and your title. I want to let them know, one, title's clear, and we are closing at a title company. Close at a title company, you get a lender's policy, and there's a problem like, a guy who shows up at the house a week later and says, hey, man, you know, my parents own this thing. How can my brothers and sisters sell it without me? Well, that's a huge problem if you didn't close at a title company. And it's happened to me before. If yeah. you close at a title company, the title company is going to handle that. They're going to pay that guy or they're going to absorb the lawsuit that he files and dispose of it and, and pay whatever claims the court says are due him. So. Ultimately, number one, you've got to close at a title company if you're a private lender. That protects your investment. So let's assume you get to the closing, you do the deal, and and you're about to write the check. The second thing is you want to have the docs done by an attorney that represents lenders. Most attorneys that work at the title company, all they do all day long is draft docs for lenders. So using any title company attorney is probably a pretty good bet. If you want to be super safe, Go out and research some uh, other attorneys that do docs for lenders and have them look over your docs. They'll probably charge you a review fee. They may even sit down with you and go, hey, here's some things over the years that we've decided to put in docs that makes it a little bit safer for the lender. And yours don't have that. So, you know, we have this set of docs we can supply for this fee or you can use these, whatever. But get familiar with one or two attorneys pay for their time, especially if you plan on doing a lot of lending, get set up, invest a little money up front, uh, get your systems down, get your procedures down, get a good set of docs that you like to use. And ultimately you can use them as a template. If you want in the future, you can maybe have the same docs that you use over and over and just have an attorney review them for you and, you know, push the date, push the address into them. So good docs, good title, good insurance. Um, the other thing about insurance too, I mean, the insurance is, you know, I can't go into a whole lot of detail. I'm not an insurance agent, but it's got to be insured for what you're borrowing, you know, borrowing for 50, you don't want a guy getting $20,000 for the insurance on it. Most insurance companies won't even let that happen. Make sure it's adequately insured. If it's in the flood zone, make sure there's a flood policy in place for it. Um, if it's uh, vacant and the guy's going to be rehabbed, make sure he's got a builder's risk policy. So it'll be covered even if it's being rehabbed. A lot of the regular ones won't, won't apply to a construction site. So make sure you have the appropriate insurance and adequate amount of coverage. And then if you really want to be sharp, and I suggest this especially with 
first-time borrowers, first-time lenders, get the guy to prepay the whole year. Get him to prepay the whole year up front at closing and then have your name added as the mortgagee. Absolutely. So on that insurance policy, if there's ever a claim, your name's going to be listed on that check as well as the borrower's. So he can't just go run off and cash that check without you being there, which is the main thing. Because if he cashes that check and runs off, you're stuck with a flooded or burned down home and no money to fix it. The insurance is going to say, sorry, we already wrote the check. So the number one thing is get good insurance. Make sure it's paid a year in advance because if he pays a month and doesn't pay next month, uh uh-oh, problem. Now, in theory, the lender should call – or sorry, the insurance uh, company should call the lender and go, hey, FYI, (laughs) this guy's not paying and you're a lender, so you probably want to know. But they may not. So that's kind of the second thing I tell people is communicate, even if it's just an email, with the, with the um, insurance company on a monthly basis until that deal is disposed of. Make sure he's still paying the insurance. Make sure, make sure he didn't call and cancel that insurance and get a refund. I've seen it happen. Guy gets <laughs> insurance, pays for a year in advance, closes the deal, calls back the next day and says, hey, the deal fell apart. I need a refund. Cancel the insurance. You know, and yeah. if you're a little paper that gets lost in the mail and you don't, you're not aware, next thing you know, if there's a loss, you're not covered. A lot of people think, well, he showed me a little paper, it's insured. Not necessarily. So make sure that insurance, that you got to drill that hard as a lender. You got to know the insurance is good, got to know it's adequate, it's appropriate for the type of property, and it's being paid and it's being maintained. And don't rely on the insurance company to notify you that it's not being maintained. That's something you as a lender, it can be literally an email that is set up to reoccur every month that you don't even have to touch. It can be that. But if it doesn't bounce back into your email with a yes, you know you need to go call that lender and find out what happened. So those are the two big ones, the the three big ones. And then after that, your other exposure, and it's much less, but it's it's the renovations, you know. The guy's going to do a $20,000 rehab. Don't write him a $20,000 check at closing and let him go off and do it. Let him go off and do it first and then come to you for reimbursement. Correct. Especially when the rehab gets large, when it's a 50, 60, 70, 80, $100,000 rehab. Do not write that check until the work's done or break it up into a draw schedule if if it's that big of a job, tell me you're going to do it in thirds or halves or quarters or, you know, whatever makes sense. And, uh, and then on something like that, you also have to factor in your time and who's going to coordinate this process. So if these things start to get long and drawn out, you know, your first or second one, you may be driving out to the property and inspecting right before you cut the draw check. And then (laughs) we're going to take a couple of those before you realize you have 10 hours of your own time in this loan and you're going to go, Hey, by the way, next time we do one of these ones where I have to drive out every week, um, I'm going to charge you 200 bucks every time I drive out, you know, just get an inspector to do it for you. And I'm going to pay him whatever his fee is. Right. Yeah. But you put that in your docs. You say, look, I don't have a problem holding back money for repairs. Uh, but if you're going to want multiple draws uh, or even just one draw, I'm going to send an inspector out and you're going to pay his fee. Most bars are fine with that. They are? Go ahead. What am I missing here? Insurance draws, title, LTV. I think okay. One other, and I've heard this from a third party, 
Some borrowers will insist on no payments. Let all the interest accrue, and I'll pay you when we flip it at that closing. That is probably okay with a really good borrower that you've been doing business with for a while. That is a lot more risky with a newer borrower that you haven't or have only done one deal with, uh, especially if you don't know about his financial situation. Because if there's a problem with that deal you're, and he keeps paying, there's no catalyst. There's no trigger. You can't foreclose the guy. So you never know what's going on with it. Maybe half the house burned down and or who knows. But there's, you know, if, if he doesn't have to make payments, there's no, you have to wait full term. So let's say, perfect example, Hurricane Harvey, you got to deal with a borrower. Yep. And, the, and let's say he screws up the insurance, whatever. Well, that, that actually be a, that's your covenant. You'd, you'd be able to call the loan for that. But let's just say Hurricane Harvey comes in, you call the borrower and you, hey man, how's the asset? And he doesn't answer the phone. So you drive by and the house is flooded. Okay, you call him again, won't answer the phone. You can't set foot on that property. You don't own it. You're the lender. That's it. You don't know. Maybe he had it rented. There's someone else's stuff in there. You can't just go kick the door in and and start remediating that house. And you can't foreclose either because he doesn't have any payments due for six months. How's that house going to be in six months if you haven't remediated and had three feet of water in it? You know, and you can't get a hold of the guy. Maybe his house flooded. Maybe, you know, shoot, things happen and he's got to handle his, and he just, you know, uh, who, who knows? But if you can't get a hold of the borrower and he has no payments due, there's no trigger for you to go, you know, versus if you did have those interest payments in there and he, after the first 30 days, he doesn't respond, then you can call the note, you can accelerate, you can foreclose and immediately start uh, remediating that property and preserving your asset. That's exactly right. I've people have asked me to do that, and I was like, "Look, you got to pay me something every month. Yeah, something. You got to give me a little something. It doesn't have to be the full payment." And right. As you know, I, t- I tended to do only uh, only in- interest only loans, so right. it doesn't have to be the full payment. But I do want something because, yeah, there, you know, there's the there's the payment default, and then the performance default. So there, yeah, in those docs have stringent policies for both so that you can foreclose if need be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think if you do those, right, then, then you're, you're pretty well covered. We didn't really talk about homestead, but I think as long as you don't lend private lend money to a guy who's going to live in the house, you're in pretty good shape. If he's going to live in the house, uh, it just extends the foreclosure process. And, uh, the borrower has a lot more, uh, laws on his side and security instruments to keep you from foreclosing versus if it's an investor, it's pretty much wham, bam, you get the house back. So yeah. I think kind of a general rule, don't lend to, to uh, guys that want to buy the house, fix it and live there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're going to touch on that with, you know, RMLO okay. and, and all that at some other point in this podcast, but for now, uh, let's assume the yeah. loans are business loans, investor to investor and non, okay, non, non-owner occupied because that, you know, especially until we can see what Mr. Trump is going to do, but with the um, with all the laws that have been passed since the uh, the last meltdown, uh, mm-hmm. I, I certainly, I, as you know, Landon and I, you know, we 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 do we do some of that, but um, and I know that you do as well, but mm-hmm. it's it's again, it's a level of sophistication that I think one needs to hit before they even consider doing that. Yeah, you can make some nice margin in owning owning the notes, but for for a beginner, I'd say, you know, stay away from it for right now. 
Uh, as much as I would say, if they want to loan to somebody who's going to do a flip and they've, they've only done three flips, that's what hard money lenders are for. Let them take on the risk. Let them walk them through a newbie, through the rehab mm-hmm. process. You've got a guy who's flipped 10 houses in the same neighborhood and he wants to borrow some money from you. Now you can start mm-hmm. looking at that. But mm-hmm. yeah, again, stay away from owner occupied. The, 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 at that point, they're a consumer and the law is definitely more favorable for them. And as a, as a, a newbie private lender, I'd say stay on the, on the business side. Um, yeah. that's, that's the one, well, especially here in Texas, that's the beauty, you know, the beauty of it. We're so business friendly here and landlord friendly compared to New York, for example. Um, it's just, it just makes sense to stay that way and stay safer. Uh, Absolutely. Starting off. And then, you know, like I said, as you get sophisticated, then you can do, you know, more things. Well, cool. Well then, um, there's, there's only one thing I wanted. I, I wanted, I loved everything you said, except about the docs, except the, uh, the templates again. I don't. I don't disagree with that. But I, I think that requires a certain level of sophistication and experience uh, to do that. Even at my my stage now, I tend to require the borrower to have new docs drafted. Now I can't save them money by yeah. I will. I will. My, I myself or I'll have somebody put the legal description and the address in, and then only have the attorney review the doc. The same attorney that drafted yeah. the original doc, I'll pay him to review it because they're his yeah. documents. And yeah. if, there's some, if there's a clause that he's adding in now because of you know some some court case, then he'll he'll throw that in as part of the review. But as a general rule, I say you know, stay away from the templates unless. Um, yeah, oh, you're totally right. And um, honestly, I think the guy who does that with me is an attorney. So that's probably where that came from. But, but you're absolutely right. If there's any question, legal, you know, 250 bucks an hour, 125 for half an hour. I've got guys I can call and PayPal them 100 bucks and they'll, you know, they'll sit down with me for 20 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, just, just like that. Yeah. Let me tell you a hundred bucks. I got this question about docs and like, you know, can I use these docs? And, he'll, and they'll tell you what's best on, on that. Can you start over quick? The microphone uh, messed up again. You sound like you're in a video arcade. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, docs are best done by an attorney. Absolute bar none. I think the guy that I had that was reusing docs was an attorney, had a law degree. So obviously if you're using uh, a title company to close, the best thing to do is always to go to an attorney, have them do the docs. You're an attorney. You like to do your own docs, and that makes sense. But yeah, like I was saying, you can pay a guy usually half of their hourly rate and just call them up. And like I do PayPal with one guy, and I'll just tell him, Hey, I need like 20 minutes. Can I PayPal you $100? And he'll go, Yeah, sure, PayPal me. And then tell me when you're going to call, and I'll just call him. And, and I'll, you know, question like this or anything Hey, what do I do on this? Can I just change the dates here? And he'll tell me, uh, No, you can't do that. You have to be an attorney to draft legal documents. Cool, man. Money well spent. Let me send you the file and we'll get them prepped. You know, so uh, that's, that's an invaluable resource. You know, 100 bucks versus screwing something up and getting cleaned out always makes sense to go with the professional. Gotcha. Chris, I, you've given some great, great uh, nuggets here. Um, we've gone so long. I'd like to drill down on about half of, if not more, of everything that you said. But seeing how we've already gone along, I think we'll, we'll, just, we'll wrap it up here. But okay. uh, my, my last question would be, uh, how can people get uh, in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Easiest way is to hit me up on Facebook. And uh, you can go to facebook.com forward slash funk medelic. Uh, that'll take you right to my page. Or you can just go to facebook.com and type in Chris Funk. And that's funk like funky music. And uh, you can just type that in. I'll be the guy either on a mountain bike, holding a mountain bike, sitting in front of a mountain bike. Type Chris Funk. You see a picture of a guy in a mountain bike, I guarantee it. 
uh, <laughs> as far as I know, there's no other Chris Funks that have a mountain bike in their profile picture on Facebook. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Shoot me a message on there. I think my website, phone number, email, all that stuff is, is public on my Facebook. So I'm pretty uh, easy to find. I may not be as easy to get a hold of depending on the day, but uh, I always respond to messages. So people can always find me on Facebook. Okay, well, cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and honoring us today, giving us your wisdom and a lot of nuggets uh, here for uh, not only newbies, but even uh, good, solid advice for advanced, intermediate and advanced lenders. Yeah, please keep me on your list of lenders, especially when the next correction comes. I'd love to be in line to work with you again. And, Absolutely. And with that, thank you. Have a good week and happy investing. Hey, thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me on and have a great week as well. Well, that's going to wrap up the interview with Chris Funk. If you have any questions or didn't understand something, please go to privatelenderpodcast.com, episode four, look at the show notes. There will be some information that Chris and I spoke on or spoke about will be listed there. Also, I'm going to try to get a resources page up and running on the website as soon as I can. That'll provide some of these acronyms and abbreviations and some of the jargon that you may hear or may not pick up on right away. So that's going to wrap it up for episode four. I'd like to thank you again for sharing your most valuable asset with me today, your time. And if you could, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And to find this one, please leave a rating and review as it will help get the word out and it will help us build a larger tribe of lenders that can support each other and help each other grow. That's it for this episode. I hope to see you next week. I wish you all the best and prosperous lending. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.